Hey, Mark. Yes. Something seems different. It does. I can't quite put my finger on what it is. But it's definitely not the way things usually are. Usually we're sitting at awkward desks with those weird, well, chairs with those weird side desks coming out of them. Yeah, which never give you enough room to have a notebook on. No, it's like the size of a little child's journal. Right. You could keep your diary at them. Yeah, because that's the only thing you need in a classroom is your personal diary, clearly. Yeah, that's all I tell my students to use. (laughs) But now there's some sun shining. I even hear a bird chirping in the distance. Yeah, it's kind of beautiful. So to get to the point, the Heart of Podness studios have moved. Our studios, one might say, essentially in the past were whatever empty classroom we found on Georgetown's campus. And now it's our kitchen. Even better. Moving up in the world. We have a new co-host. He won't be saying much. Oh, Mr. Lep? Yes. We have this enormous leopard body pillow. It belongs to our roommate, Claire. And we decided to put him between us to fill the empty space that we had to create to try to reduce an echo. Yeah. And so he's here. He has thoughts on the movies, but he probably won't be sharing them. But we might hear from him sometimes. Oh, God. Why did I bring this up? Anyway, I do think we should take this moment as we are moving into the new world of Heart of Podness to take a moment to thank the guy who got us all started on this, Toby Clark. Yeah, he helped us out all the way back at our unreleased episode zero. When we did not have any plan and just rambled about a movie for an hour. Yeah, none of you will ever be hearing this because it's pretty awful. Eh, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Toby lent us equipment. He helped us get set up, helped show us what to do. It was like we were engineers reaching out into the cosmos, trying to make a brilliant discovery. And we latched onto Toby, grabbed him from his home world, and snatched him hurtling through space and time into our laps. It wasn't a world he made, but it was a world that he helped us to make. I think he should be insulted that you are now comparing him to Howard the Duck. But, you know, I think it fits. I think he was the hero that we needed in that moment. And he was the guy who got us through that fist fight in a sushi restaurant and got us through... (laughs) Country sushi restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. And got us through the Cleveland Duck Hunting Festival. Was that in the movie? Yeah. Because they had to fly the little airplane. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that part. Oh, that movie sucks. It's a masterpiece. I think it should be an annual treat. Every year... We rewatch Howard the Duck. No. And comment on our new thoughts. No. I refuse. That sounds like the worst idea you've had. And you've had some pretty terrible ideas. Speaking of great ideas, I want to check in on Soul Train. So in scene two, we hear the clattering of the railroad tracks. And we're looking in, panning down a hallway through these compartments. And in each one of them, there's nothing. Just the sound of the train going by and the thunder outside. Mark's falling asleep right now. <laughs> Is he still talking about Soul Train? At the end of the hallway, we see a conductor. And not just any conductor. This was an idea from a listener, Tim, who suggested that we reuse footage from the Polar Express. <laughs> Using Tom Hanks' CGI conductor. None of the rest of the movie is CGI, just Tom Hanks. I don't know if we need another horror movie set on the train, because I think Polar Express kind of covered it. We're also going to use... Tom Hanks plays three characters in that movie. We're going to use all of them. He's the conductor, he's Santa, and he is the creepy, mysterious snow ghost man who hangs out on the roof of the train. I could not break myself to watch that movie. It was uncanny valley out the wazoo. It's bananas. Yeah. The book is so, like... 
short and wholesome and sweet. It's and a really sweet book. The movie just, I saw the trailer and I was like, nope! Well, they turned a 20-page picture book into a two-hour movie. It worked for Shrek. I suppose that's fair. It can be done. Yeah. Well, that probably moves us along once again, thanks to Toby. By the way, just in general, we are moving to this new setup. So if there are any issues, we're still tinkering with this setup and figuring out how it'll work. We're going to put Mr. Lep on it to solve any problems that we have. Yeah, he's our new engineer. He'll be running the levels. Okay, well, it's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm Gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are any of these people, or not people, actually dateable? Are they even likable? Oh, not people. Oh, man. Um, It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or, in this movie, possibly not there at all. (laughs) But we'll dig in and we'll see what is there. And this week, it's a Mark pick. So it's your job to explain why I've now seen this movie. So I think we'll just answer the question of why we're covering this movie, because he hasn't seen it. Today we're discussing, I believe it was from 2007. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld's classic B-movie. This is his follow-up to Seinfeld. It's not a B-movie, it is the B-movie. Which is why this movie exists. Jerry Seinfeld was having lunch with Steven Spielberg, and during a lull in the conversation, Jerry Seinfeld was trying to fill the empty space. And in the most Seinfeldy joke ever, he said, You know what would be funny? If you made a movie about bees... And you called it B-Movie, like B-E-E. And Steven Spielberg thought that was such a great idea. He called Jeffrey Katzenberg on the spot to block it down. This is the... uh. You guys, if you haven't seen this movie, I can't tell if I can recommend it or not. If you have lunch with Steven Spielberg, be very careful what jokes you tell. Yeah, you might be locked into making a terrible movie. This is Seinfeld's follow-up to his TV show. He hadn't done any big projects since the show ended. And then this was it. And so there was a huge marketing blitz when it was coming out. Yeah. I remember, you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing a B-movie ad. Seinfeld Vision, the episode of 30 Rock, was essentially just a B-movie ad. And I think that's the place where I first heard Renee Zellweger's name. And I heard it a million times in B-movie ads. Yeah, so I definitely saw this in theaters. I aggressively did not. And I just I've totally forgotten about it. And then recently, there's all these memes about it. And I was like, you know what we should discuss on the podcast? A movie movie where a woman and a bee fall in love because it fits the theme kind of in a way but also is so ridiculous yeah it's funny how we're gonna be talking about romance in this movie because that is ostensibly why we cover movies because the movie has been memed so much there were a bunch of articles last year for the 10th anniversary of bee movie that among other things tried to figure out the source of the bee movie meme and they could all kind of be traced back to a completely, it appears, 100% sincere Tumblr post with just a screen grab of a bunch of bees and then that quote from the opening of the movie about how, given everything we know about science, bees should not be able to fly. But the bee flies anyway, because it doesn't care what's impossible. You mean the lie that opens this film? Yes. Bumblebee flight does not violate the laws of physics, contrary to popular rumor and bee movie. Because you can't violate the laws of physics. Right, that's how physics works. But so that appears to be the origin of the meme. And that then took off into all of these different tangents, many of which focus on the fact that this movie appears to be about a woman, a human woman, who leaves her fiancé for a bee. I mean, at least he's an anthropomorphized bee who can talk English. Fair. 
Now, according to the director, Steve Hickner, this is a quote from an interview he did last year. Quote, It was never going to be sexual or anything like that. It was purely this friendship. Maybe in Barry's mind, he thought, but it was never going to be that. I mean... Obviously, Vanessa is not going to fall in love with a bee, and it's clearly not sexual in the movie. But the fact that you made a movie where you have to explicitly say the relationship in this movie between a human woman and a bee is not sexual. This movie is so weird. (laughs) It's so weird. You shouldn't have to say that in an interview. And nothing about it makes sense. Like, they live in this hive where, I mean, naturally they're bees, they live in a hive. And the hive is like a massive factory dedicated to the manufacture of honey, but also people live in it and they commute within it and they don't fly everywhere. There's a line in the movie where he's like, oh, do you run everywhere? Yeah. Just because flying's faster doesn't mean it's easy. Which, fair. But they drive bee cars. Flying bee cars. Right. And again, in that same interview, which I'll post on Facebook and Twitter so that people can see it because there's a lot of good stuff in it. They're talking about the conflicting elements in the movie between animation, which wants to build out a world that makes sense. Think like Monsters, Inc. or The Incredibles, where they flesh out a whole world. Right. And comedy, where you just want something that's goofy. Right. Which is the central tension between the animators and Jerry Seinfeld, who apparently was given basically free reign to do whatever he wanted on this movie. Like, yeah, he wrote it, he produced it. budget. He wrote it, he produced it, he starred in it, and they kind of just, like, did whatever he wanted. And for an example of that, speaking of the cars, at one point, Seinfeld's talking about, like, oh, yeah, so they have cars to drive to work. And the animators and the story writers came back and were like, okay, so are there be insurance companies to insure these cars? And Seinfeld was like, no, of course not. Why would there be insurance companies? And then, of course, the most ridiculous thing out of all of this is B. Larry King. Yeah, what? Oh my god. There is just a character in this movie, who played by Larry King, who is Larry King with the suspenders and the glasses and on everything. On BNN. He's on BNN, and he hosts Larry King's show, but for bees. B. Larry King Live. Right, his name is B. Larry King. Like, they didn't even try. At least for Jerry Seinfeld's character, they took Jerry and they beat it. They made it Barry. But for B. Larry King, he's just B. Larry King. And the movie acknowledges that there is a real Larry King in the human world. What is this? Yeah, Barry talks about how the fact that there is a human Larry King. Who looks the same and has the same show. It's the weirdest thing. So my idea here is that in Marvel Comics, there's a character called Captain Britain. And Captain Britain is nothing like Captain America except that he's British. And Captain America is American. So Captain Britain is a member of the Captain Britain Corps, where their job is to, like, you know, save people and protect the world and yada, yada, yada. But there's only one in each universe. So the Captain Britain Corps is a multiversal force that is organized to look for threats to all universes and all worlds. Is there a Larry King Corps? And there's a different animal Larry King for every species in the animal kingdom. Uh... Is it ever established that any other animals are intelligent, or is it just humans and bees? We know mosquitoes are because Chris Rock plays a mosquito. Oh, yep, of course. I'm already a blood-sucking parasite, he says when he becomes a lawyer, because that's the kind of jokes we're doing in this movie. Yeah, if it, there's no such thing as too low-hanging fruit in this movie. No, it's really not amazing, the level of jokes. The other weird thing about the jokes is that most of them are not targeted at children. Right. Like, the punchline of every scene is always one that kids won't get. Like the 
of B. Larry King. Like B. Larry King, which they spend a lot of time on, like Sting. There's a whole side part that we're going to talk about later yeah. where Sting is brought in and they talk about his name. I'm like, kids don't get this joke. Kids don't know Sting. Ray Liotta's signature honey. There's a lot of Ray Liotta jokes and it's always the punchline. Like they'll list a bunch of different kinds of honey and then end on Ray Liotta. I'm like, kids don't know who Ray Liotta is. I, I barely, barely know, know who, who Ray Liotta that is. is. <laughs> oh my God. And then there's not, like, I have even three, maybe only two, I can't remember, fundamental questions about how this movie views the nature of bees. Oh, this movie does not understand bees, which is weird because they spent a lot of time talking to beekeepers and visiting beehives. The first question is really less about bees, but everyone in this hive works for the company Hunex, which makes honey. Right, it's Which like makes uh, sense. it's like by and large from Wally. But why is Hunix then a subsection why of a bigger company, from... which is a subsection of an even larger conglomerate? If there is only one company in this hive, what are these other companies? And it's definitely at one point one of the companies they name check is like the B version of Enron. Right, I laughed, but no kid did. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. What is the corporate structure of this hive? Who knows? Where does the queen fit into any of it? Right. And also, the second question, the queen is elected? How do you elect a queen? Especially for bees. Right. When they are fundamentally different kinds of bees. Like, you have to raise a queen from birth in order to be a queen bee. I'm assuming, because they're so different. Like, they look different. They just have a million eggs all the time. This is what happens when you give somebody free reign and basically all they care about is the jokes. By all accounts, at any test screening, Seinfeld openly said that he didn't really care about notes. He didn't really care about what people had to say about it. He just sat around and waited to hear where and when people laughed at the jokes. And I read in the same excellent retrospective published by The New Statesman, which again, I'll post. There was an interview with somebody who is a B-movie memer who also attended a test screening. And after the movie was asked, okay, what do you think? And she's like, well, I was like 10 at the time and I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I told them that I did not like it. And then I saw it again the next year and I still did not like it. And I didn't like it until high school when I understood how to make fun of a movie. (laughs) That's incredible. Can you imagine being that tied to the B-movie your whole life? Like, that's who you are then. It's like the people who have dedicated their lives to Star Wars or... Star Trek or whatever your fandom is, they're a B-movie person. But the difference is they hate B-movie. I can't imagine anyone is memeing B-movie from a place of love. The first person did. Maybe. The first B-movie meme was a believer. A believer. A believer. Yeah. Because we can't do believer. The slogan for this movie on the posters was born to be wild. B-E-E. Oh my god. There was also another poster that used the slogan, honey, just got funny this is the kind of promotional Uh, campaign this movie was doing so it like mark said was in 2007 but the run-up to that was basically the entire year the movie didn't premiere at Cannes, but they premiered footage from it there and it was introduced by a spectacle outside of the theater in which jerry seinfeld in a giant bee costume (laughs) ziplined from one building to another what the living what the actual f- This really puts the Netflix controversy at Cannes into perspective if this kind of f- was allowed there. For people who don't know, Netflix and Cannes are currently in a big fight about whether or not Netflix movies should be allowed to show there. The French have these rules where for a movie to be in competition at Cannes, it has to wait 
it has to be shown in French theaters, and French law says that a movie shown in French theaters can't stream in France for three years. Netflix is not a fan of that, so they've been refusing it, and Cannes has just blocked them entirely. Whereas, of course, in 2007, they allowed that B-movie footage to be shown following that. And that was actually the early ad campaign for the movie. They put out a commercial, which I'll post on social media too, in which Jerry Seinfeld wearing the B costume is dropped on a wire above flowers talking about being a B. And then he decides it's really hard and is complaining, and Steven Spielberg wanders on and says, just make it animated. Oh my god, what is this movie? I have no regrets about watching it, but boy, do I not understand anything that it's happens. It's bewildering. And to the credit of American audiences, I think they realize that pretty quickly. So the movie, it cost about $150 million. It opened to $38 million at number two behind American Gangster. And overall, it made about 126. So it did not make its money back, which is wild for an animated movie. Right. Because an all-ages animated movie normally makes tons of money because it'll stay in theaters for weeks as families don't really have any other options. And people keep taking their kids. Repeat viewing is a big deal. But this movie, it opened at 2, then went up to 1, 2, 5, 9, and then out of the top 10 for the entire holiday season. How much did it make internationally? That is a terrific question. It I can find like... it. It made about $160 million internationally. So overall, worldwide, it made 287. So it did make back its money there. But that's still really low at this point for an animated movie if you look in the same year a vastly superior animated movie about an anthropomorphic animal interacting with humans came out and that is pixar's ratatouille which made almost as much as that just domestically and another dreamworks one that came out you know only a few years later how to train your dragon internet uh, domestically made like 200 plus million yeah ratatouille made 206 and then 400 million overseas ratatouille is great it's a great movie it's b baffling to me that ratatouille came out and then five months later b movie comes out because the animation quality the story quality are so dramatically inferior and like i understand that not all stories are going to be up to pixar level not all animation will be up to pixar's level but people who spent four years working on a movie should be able to produce better animation in that time in 2007 than we see in B-movie. The movie right. looks bad. With the amount of money that they spent, too. Like, our roommate, Claire, the whole time watching this movie was just like, why does every single female character look the same, even among the bees and the people? They all have the same face. I read an interview with some of the animators where they talked about how hard it is to animate female bodies. And I'm like, I don't feel sympathy for you. That's your job. Yeah, if you're an animator animator you should be able to animate people that make up over 50 percent of the world's population and they're also saying like yeah bees are really hard because like in the 3d anything can pass through anything so you had to make sure that the bee wings didn't go through their bodies i'm like yeah you chose to animate bees yeah like you should have thought of that oh my god ratatouille had the exact same budget and it the quality is just it's vastly it's insane how different it is for the same year for the same amount of money this movie is ridiculous. I cannot believe it. Yeah. I can't it, believe you made me watch this. Uh, I think you really needed to watch this movie, though. Because now just think about the amount of B-movie jokes you will be able to I got understand. Them anyway. They're all the same. They're but all about you, the woman leaving her fiancé to be with a bee. They're not all about that. They're mostly about that. Mostly about that. Yeah. All right. We could talk about B-movie all day. We should move on and dive in. Oh, God. Okay. Um. So let's actually start the points. So the premise of this movie... I. I can't. Okay. Well, we're talking about Barry B. Benson. Barry B. Benson B. is a B. And the movie opens with him going to his college graduation, which took, I think, what was it? Oh, actually, before it even starts, 
It starts with the DreamWorks logo, and it starts with the change to the DreamWorks logo. Oh, right. Because this is a really special movie. Exactly. So the DreamWorks logo is coming up. We see the kid doing the fishing on the moon, and the balloons are going up. And all of a sudden, the balloon is popped, and the kid falls down. And instead of the little DreamWorks kid, it's the Seinfeld B, who does look a lot like Seinfeld, flies up and just chills in the D. And that's like, like you said... It's this thing where, like, oh, this is a big deal movie, which is how it was marketed. Like, this yeah. is it. Jerry Seinfeld is back. He's making this big, all-ages family comedy. But I am really grumpy whenever studios change their logos. Like, you gotta earn that. Yeah. Like, Warner Brothers earned it with the later Harry Potter movies where they darkened it. Like, yeah. okay, it's Harry Potter. It's your flagship franchise. The movie is darker. That's about what I like to see. Like, yeah. the next day, the day after we watch this, I watched the Peanuts movie from mm. 2015 and the 20th century fox logo comes up but instead of the fanfare it's like a plinky piano because they pan out and we see schroeder playing it and i'm like look i like schroeder but i want to hear the 20th century fox fanfare yeah is ralph playing the 20th century fox fanfare with his recorder actually in the simpsons movie opening i don't remember i think that might be one that i'm also okay with i'm okay with the simpsons yeah but that's the thing it's like you can make it work but half the time it's gonna be like you bet on b movie sometimes it's your dark universe logo lol dark universe if anyone can find any dark universe merchandise on the internet like with the logo please send it to me i want it i saw a dark universe t-shirt the other day and i want it so badly i can't believe it i can't i just i can't with that it's whole so thing. funny to me Oh my god. Okay, um, get back to B-movie. Okay, back to B-movie. Back to B-movie. Um, Can you tell we don't want to talk about this movie? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it opens with Seinfeld, Barry B. Benson, waking up, getting ready for his day, using honey for all of his toiletries. Honey is everything. They eat it, but it's also their soap. It's also their swimming pool. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. And he uses it to gel his hair, the only one that kind of makes sense with the consistency of honey. And then he and his friend, played by Matthew Broderick, go to their college graduation. And there's so many jokes about, guys, bees have short lifespans. Which is weird because they have a lot of jokes about that at the beginning, but then they totally go away. Oh, yeah. They start off with like, oh, yeah, you're the graduating class of the first 15 minutes of today. Like, remember when you took a a gap day before going to college? I'm like, okay, we're playing around with the fact that bees have short lifespans. But then yeah. that totally goes away in the later parts of the movie, which definitely lasts, like, several weeks. But it's never remarked upon the fact that Barry should be old and dying, if yeah. alive at all. Also, his parents. They like, should be dead. Yeah. Well, also, male bees die after they mate, so there should be no dads. Yeah. Uh, so it's like they committed to this bit for 20 minutes and then abandoned it once it was no longer necessary slash started to work against the movie. The other thing I wanted to comment on with their graduation, they're talking about, we finally did it. We're finally going to be grown up bees. And one of them goes, be men. And the other one goes, amen. And the other one goes, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be men. Be men. Amen. Hallelujah. Are bees Christian? I mean, they speak English. Is there a bee Jesus? A Beezus? Well, that comes up too. <laughs> because at one point they're listing famous bees and they go, like, be Columbus, be Gandhi, be Jesus. I forgot about that part. Oh boy. Um, I want to know about be Jesus. Be Columbus kind of makes sense because it's like bees were brought to the Americas yeah. by Europeans. What about be Gandhi? Be Gandhi. I guess maybe the British bees tagged along and colonized the Indian bees, and the Indian bees had their own independence movement, but I don't know. I think we're taking this concept a little too far. Um, I'm just trying to understand the movie. Yeah. The movie is presenting a world, and I want to make sense of it, and I want to see Bee Church. Show me Bee First Communion. 
I don't know if they would have the time to go to church because they make such a big deal out of the fact that they have no free time. I just assume it would be shortened like everything else. True. Because at their graduation, the stands become cars on a ride, like essentially a roller coaster. Well, it's a classic uh, Di- DreamWorks Disney World joke. Yeah. So they go through Hunnex and learn all about the process of making honey. And it's all like Dr. Seuss mechanical, yeah, it's like Rube Goldberg really contraptions. They totally don't mention the fact that honey is pretty easy for bees to make, I'd say, because it involves basically just vomiting. A lack of understanding of honey drives most of this movie. Yeah, so they go through, they're like doing everything, and then Barry somehow gets into a bet with the pollen jocks. The pollen jocks are basically bad boy bees who leave the hive to go and collect honey from flowers. Nobody else leaves the hive. These are just these big dudes, which is weird because pollinating bees are female, but they're the big dudes who go out and see the world and collect honey, and they're like, ugh, other bees are dumb. And Barry's like, I'm as cool as you are. And then they challenge him to meet them there the next day. Yeah, this whole movie would make more sense if every gender was swapped yes because again fundamental misunderstanding of bees that would lead to some weird conversations about male gays about human dudes being into female bees (laughs) oh for sure but like even the mosquitoes chris rock plays a mosquito who makes a bunch of blood drinking jokes when only female mosquitoes drink blood but don't you know males always do the most important jobs like being lawyers you know blood-sucking parasites Oh, God. Okay, but yeah, so let's keep moving. He goes on a pollen jock run to prove that he's a big manly bee. And this brings us to where he first meets Vanessa on the tennis court. Oh, that's right. They land. He thinks he's landing on a flower. He's going to pick up some pollen. But instead, he lands on a tennis ball. And it's Vanessa and her fiancé playing doubles against some friends. The ball gets picked up, gets flung back and forth. One of the examples of really weird physical comedy in this animated movie. It's a scene that feels like it was designed to be viewed in 3D, but this movie wasn't released in 3D. Yeah, so it's just Barry bouncing back and forth, and then they fly away. Which brings us really to point one, which is when it starts raining. Right, bees can't fly in the rain. That part is true. Right. Hats off to you, movie, for getting some science. One fact correct. You had a fact. So Barry finds some flowers, which are on, coincidentally, they're on Vanessa's windowsill. And he flies into the flowers, goes inside to avoid the rain, when Ken starts trying to kill him. That's right. Ken, played by Patrick Warburton, is Vanessa's fiancé, and he is allergic to bees. We should acknowledge this. Right. He does not have some irrational hatred of bees. He is concerned for his own safety in the face of a non-sentient insect. Right. So he could be killed if he gets stung by a bee. Which, you know, I understand that he would be thus a little nervous around bees. It is a reasonable reaction. Yeah, and Renee Zellweger, or Vanessa, as played by Renee Zellweger, has no sympathy for this. No, she immediately is like, why is his life any less valuable than yours? And he's like, because it's a bee. Yeah. You, you do know that, right? Insects? Yeah. They don't have brains. It's a bee, guys. Granted, we should be saving the honeybees. Let's make that oh, clear. Oh, totally. Honeybees are important. They're dying out. We need to protect them. Absolutely. That's kind of the end of this movie. Yeah. So, you so know. she saves him and lets him out the window. And he starts flying away, but then he flies back. Right. Because he wants to say thank you. So this brings us to point number two. Where Barry breaks the fundamental law of bees. He broke the prime directive. He says thank you to Vanessa. In a scene that looks weirdly like Ratatouille, where she's working in the kitchen, and he's like flying around running into kitchen things. Yeah, so he's basically like, thank you for saving my life. And clearly she's 
you know, shocked, one could say, to learn that bees can talk. She's astonished because bees don't talk. Yeah. Who knew, guys? And not only do they talk, they speak English with slang. Yeah, they understand all of human mannerisms, slang, language, etc. I guess the point is that because they live in New York, that they've picked up New York attitudes i guess so maybe but then they spend the full day together yes again so when we talk about their bee lifespan that's out the window yeah so they spend although it's only out the window because vanessa opened the window because barry doesn't understand how windows work he repeatedly flies into windows when he's trying to escape because he can't figure out glass which is weird because everything (laughs) in the bee honey factory is made of glass there is a lot of see through it could be plastic Okay, but there's but a lot of see-through material. material. And so they spend all day together. They're talking. They're laughing. They bond. And then Barry flies home at the end of it. Which After a nice rooftop uh, coffee. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't understand how he drinks it. Well, we do see as he's leaving that it's still mostly full because he can't drink a lot of it. Does he just, like, dip down? I think take so. Take a gulp and then fly there's out? There's a straw. Ah, Yes. So like he just also, sucks it up through the straw. But the straw... Like bees do. Guys, this movie is insane. It's a, it's a proboscis extender. Do bees have proboscises? I don't know. Um, who knows? But yeah, so Barry goes If home. you know about bee proboscises, tweet at us. Hashtag, I know bees. Tell us all about bees and what you know. Yeah. Hashtag, I know bees. We want to hear more. So this brings us back to the hive in point number three. Point number three, Barry... Now getting back to the hive, he still hasn't decided on a job to do. His issue when he got the tour through Hunnex, he was like, I don't want to do any of this until the day that I die. What am I going to do? And so that's why he was excited to get out of the hive and go mm-hmm. with the pollen jockeys. Now he's met Vanessa. He's experienced the human world. He can't decide on a bee job that he's willing to settle down into. So he's just like hanging out in the pool of honey, lying on a raft. His Ignoring parents his are trying parents. to talk sense into him. Right. And he's just not listening. He flops off like in the graduate into the honey pool and starts to have a fantasy as he drifts through the honey. And you see Barry sitting on a picnic blanket next to a lounging Vanessa. They're chatting. They're <laughs> laughing. They're having a glorious time. Clearly, Barry has a thing for this human woman. This is clearly romantic. Yeah, this is not subtle. It's still not sexual. No. But it's not subtle. And this is where you get the classic joke where a mosquito flies and lands on Vanessa's leg. She slaps it. And then they look at each other horrified. And then they start laughing. And then they start laughing. Which, when you remember that later in the movie, Barry becomes friends with the mosquito, takes a dark turn. But Barry doesn't care about mosquito lives until he's exposed to them in his own life. He has to be exposed to people who are different than he is in order to be able to, I was going to say humanize, but to demonize them. (laughs) Demonize sounds more like demonize. It does sound like demonize. So, yeah, this is such a bizarre sequence because this bee has met this woman for a day, which, granted, is, you know, like 1% of his whole life and is already in love with her. This human. How is he in love with a human? I just, what, what is going on in this movie? I think he's infatuated with the human world and Vanessa is his insight into the human world. That's the only explanation I can come up with. Yeah, because he's thinking about Vanessa, he's thinking about leaving the hive and leading a different life. Yeah, so he wants to explore the wider world. He feels trapped in the hive which you know is the plot of so 
many movies. He wants adventure in the great wide somewhere. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, so we're basically now already on to point four. I still can't believe this movie used the tagline Born to be Wild and didn't play the song in the movie. I've been thinking about that for three days. They probably couldn't get the rights. Would you want your song in this movie, William? What? Would you want your song in this movie? I mean, if I hadn't seen it, yeah. It's a big DreamWorks release, Jerry Seinfeld's first new project. Maybe. If I hadn't seen it, I would. Maybe they gave him a screen test after they, like, included his song. I mean, and they put that like, song in Stuart Little that 2, out. so the bar is low. Oh, yeah. Is that the one where he skateboards? Yeah, that's the one with the skateboard and the eagle that he has to fight. Oh, my God. That's the one where all the characters are CGI and the humans are barely in it. Again, we really don't want to talk about B-Movie if we're devolving into Stuart Little 2. <laughs> Okay, so we're at point number four. They're working on a case. The critical information is between point three and point four, Barry and Vanessa go to the grocery store. At the grocery store, Barry discovers that humans sell honey and that human companies make money selling honey. He's really annoyed by this. He's like, hey, it takes a lot of work to make honey. It's hard. In the world of the film, it is. Fine, but... He gets mad about this, which I don't understand the fundamental conflict of this movie, because basically this is what the movie is about. It's about Barry then sues the human race, which is not a legal entity, over their theft of bee property. Right. The honey. Proper bee. Proper bee. (laughs) My problem is that the bees appear to be doing fine. They have all the honey they need and more. What does he want all this honey for? Or alternatively, if he's suing, what does he want the money for? I guess, like, his hive isn't being collected. Right. So he's not really exposed to this. But when they go see a hive... He doesn't know about bee farms when he starts getting mad, though. Right. But so then he goes to a bee farm. Which is, by the way, this bee farm is staffed by beekeepers who cackle about how stupid bees are and how the bees don't even realize that they're taking all of their honey and getting rich. And they actually have, like, evil laughs and stuff. Which is insane because no one loves bees more than beekeepers. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they're evil. Because, like, if you choose to spend all of your life around bees, which could potentially sting you, you probably like them. Or money. Or, I mean, yeah, it is a source of money, but it's it's so dumb. And then Barry watches them get smoked out with, you know, a bee smoker. Everyone inside is living in much more drab apartments than in Barry's hive. They don't have swimming pools. It's supposed to look like a much more depressing beehive, which I think is... Again, showing that the theft of honey is a bad thing. So they start this lawsuit, and it's Barry and all of the bees being helped by Vanessa. Nobody in that side is a lawyer. None of them has passed the bar. Yeah. Because Vanessa is a florist. I really wish they had, like, dropped that Vanessa had been a lawyer at some point in the past. Because then it would make more sense how they were able to... Bring suit? Bring suit against the human race without a single lawyer on their team. It winds up not being the human race. It winds up basically just being Big Honey. Yeah. It's John Goodman as this exaggerated southern lawyer representing the five biggest honey companies. He's essentially the hyper chicken lawyer from Futurama. I have not seen that. Which is just a giant blue southern lawyer bird that sucks at being a lawyer. It's John Goodman doing an exaggerated southern accent yelling about how bees are dumb. Yeah, and his big strategy is to convince a bee to sting him. Right, he wants to establish that bees are not as kind and friendly the way that Barry is being presented. Instead, he wants to establish that bees are evil and they want to destroy you and they want to hurt you. But the evidence they bring throughout is bizarre because it's brought up it's thrown out there that when sting is brought onto the stand i believe it's john goodman who brought him there 
Yeah, because he's astonished to discover that Sting is not his real name when Barry tries to provide that as evidence that the human race is systematically appropriating B culture. Right. And so they bring up Sting, they bring up Ray Liotta. To talk about his theft of honey. Yeah. And this is a joke they return to multiple times, Ray Liotta's honey. I don't know why. I don't get it at all. Okay, yeah. So they're in the court case, but while this is happening, Barry and If you know why Ray Liotta's honey is really funny, please tell us. Hashtag I know bees. Uh, Okay. Good God. So they are in this lawsuit, and point four is that while they're working on the case, Barry and Vanessa are spending a lot of time together. Oh boy, they are. A lot of quality time, and then... Quality time. <laughs> oh my God. This is too much. So they are, like, working on this case closely, and then when they win, they're having, like, a nice celebratory dinner. Oh yeah, by the way, they win... Oh, yeah. Important to know. They're going to shut down all bee companies, liberate all the bees from bee farms, and all honey on Earth will be returned to beehives. Yeah. Even the ones that don't have their honey collected are then filled with new honey. Right. It's dumb. This movie is dumb. This movie is so stupid. But they're having a celebratory dinner. They win! They win with Barry sitting in, like, a toy high chair, a pink toy high chair on the table, and they're... I think they even clink glasses <laughs> when Ken walks in. And they did set out a place for Ken. They did. The thing is, Vanessa has never really shown any inkling of wanting to leave Ken until this moment. No, he's a little bit obnoxious, but it's mostly because, first off, he's afraid of the bee because he's allergic to them. And second of all, he thinks it's super weird that his fiance is hanging out with a bee all the time. I will say he is not actually that sympathetic of a character. He's not. He's a jerk to their friends. He, he makes sense. Yeah. But he's not sympathetic yeah i don't think vanessa and ken should end up together but boy do i not think that vanessa and barry should end up together i mean ken has a like 10 page resume oh in a brochure i forgot about that which is so dumb it's a funny joke though. it's a funny joke one of few so they're having dinner together they clink glasses and ken shows up and vanessa's like oh you're late you're late we set out a plate for you uh you could go heat up some food it's in the fridge a normal thing to say to someone who shows up late to a dinner and then i can't remember why she leaves the room just to go deal with something. Yeah. And Warburton comes in and he's like, you gotta get out of here. What are you doing? Yeah, so he's accusing Barry of trying to steal his woman. Which Barry kind of is. Yeah, in a way. And so Ken starts trying to swat him. Right, starts trying to swat him. It turns into this ongoing fight sequence where they're going around the house fighting. Barry doesn't want to sting him because you only get one sting and then you're dead. But they're fighting. Ken's trying to swat him. This is the kind of movie where during the fight scene in the bathroom, Patrick Warburton shouts, I've got issues! While trying to kill a bee that is trying to steal his girlfriend. He literally shouts, I've got oh issues. Oh my god. He tries to flush Barry down the toilet, but Barry somehow surfs on it and gets out of it. Because apparently water is not that bad for bees. Yeah. So then he flies away and Vanessa catches Ken trying to kill Barry. And then they're through. Yeah, that's the breaking point. This is the end of the relationship. We should have focused on that relationship instead of the stupid B one <laughs> probably but i will say at this point trying to kill barry is less understandable because we've established that he is as sentient as a human yes but you know what i still kind of want to kill him <laughs> because here's the thing in the b movie universe barry has become really popular and is voiced by jerry seinfeld and so it might come to pass that barry gets enough liberty from b jeffrey katzenberg to create the b b movie and there is an endless cycle of these things being made what would b b movie be about if he's already a b it would be about an aphid would human society just be ladybug society yeah okay 
So they break up, Vanessa this is and Ken. Vanessa and Ken. And basically, Ken just goes away and doesn't show up for the rest of the movie. There is one throwaway reference to him later on. Oh, at the very end. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, they break up. Barry's won the lawsuit. Honey is flowing into the hives. So all the bees stop working because they have all this honey, so they don't need to make more honey. And so without jobs to do, bee society falls apart. All they do is laze around and suntan inside of a hive, which... I don't know where the sun is coming from. The economic politics of this movie are super weird. Yeah. So and all over the place. While we were watching this, Claire also kept going, so is this movie pro-capitalist now? And then she's like, nope, now it's anti-capitalist. Oh, nope, now it's pro-capitalist. I think the best argument you can make is that the movie is about the dignity of work. Yeah. And that there is dignity and having a vocation. Right? right. And that bee society falls apart when they don't have that vocation, when they're so flooded with honey that they don't feel like they need to do anything and they lose some of the meaning in their life. They don't take up something else. Like, if they took up art in response to that, then it would be different. But instead, they just kind of laze around. Yeah. So I think that's the most coherent case that you can make about it. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't think the movie thought about it that much. No, not at all. But so, while this is happening, every flower on the planet dies. Because nothing is being pollinated. Because there's no more pollinators. Because, you know, bees are the only thing pollinating every plant on the planet. Right, no wind. No bats. No birds. No other types of bees that don't make honey. No stuff getting caught on raccoons and getting carried around. Yeah, only bees. Only bees. And by the way, it's not just flowers, it's all plants. All plants everywhere. Grass, everything. So everything is dead. Central Park is brown and dry and gross. And so instead of trying to use the last remaining plants to improve the world, they decide to kill them all and put them in the Rose Parade. Right. Vanessa is a florist, like we said, and her dream has been to participate in the Rose Parade. And specifically the Tournament of Roses. Right. And she tells Barry that, look, there's no flowers anymore, so they've moved the Tournament of Roses up so they can have it one last time before there are no flowers anymore. And that's where Barry gets his brilliant idea, which is to go to the Tournament of Roses, steal a float, and bring it back and use those flowers to pollinate New York. Oh my god, I can't. So the end of this movie is like a heist to steal a rose parade float and fly it back to New York from LA. And then the pilots pass out somehow. Yeah, so they get it on the plane, they smuggle it on board, and then Barry goes up to talk to the pilot, and the pilots freak out and start trying to swat at him, and they wind up just smacking each other and opening a life raft and knocking themselves out. Remember, this bee is famous, too. Right, he's a very famous bee because he's on TV because he won a lawsuit. He won against the human race for the rights to all honey. And also, now people know that bees are sentient and can talk. And the bee has talked to them, so I don't know why they immediately try and swat him. At one point in the trial, they just bring out a bear on a chain as evidence. And they're like, look, people are always trying to steal honey. And they bring out a bear on a chain and then just leave it. And I'm like, that's not evidence. That's just a bear on a chain. Also, I think he's also can talk. Oh yeah, all an- they do establish yeah. that all animals, all can, animals talk. can talk. Because at the end of the movie, Barry becomes a lawyer. For a cow. He gets visited by a cow who's complaining about the fact that humans are stealing milk. And so now there's going to be a lawsuit to put all cows in charge of all milk. But also, the bee, like, that lawsuit didn't work. Like, it ruined the world, and they started selling their honey to people again. So why is he... Well, like, at the end of that, though, because they got control over it, they shut out big honey. They were able to make it so that the profits from honey go towards the bees. Ah, yeah. 
So then bees have lots of money for reasons. Why do bees want money? I, I guess, guess now to they buy can, more honey. I guess now they can start insurance companies for their cars. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing they gotta bees, finance the BB movie somehow. <laughs> the only thing bees use for in terms of resources is honey. It's all honey. So if they have money, the only thing they would need to buy is more honey, which they make and now control. So that's the tagline for the second movie. The first one is honey just got funny. Second one, honey just got money. Oh my god. Okay, so to wrap up the romance, let's end this. They let's end this torture. They rescue the plants. Barry and Vanessa have a like have to cr- land a crashing plane. They land a plane. They sully this thing because they don't know how to fly the plane, and so they have to call up all of the bees, fly out and help lift the plane and guide it down and land it at the airport. And the only way they know how to land is on a flower. So because more bees are making like a giant flower. Like pulsating flower shape. So then the plane lands, they pollinate Central Park. As soon as each plant gets one speck of pollen, it comes bursting back to life. It's like the end of the Lion King. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, and so the movie ends. Barry and Vanessa now run a business together. She's still doing floral stuff. He's doing law cases for other animals. <laughs> this, movie can't make bro- this movie broke me. <laughs> oh my god, this movie sucks. Uh, yeah, and this is where you get the lawyer joke, because mos- the mosquito who's going to Alaska is now his law partner. And that's the end of the movie. These bees have the- can pull their antenna down and use them as cell phones? They look like old-fashioned operator phones. They interface with human cell phones. There's a scene where Vanessa calls him on his antenna. I forgot about that. Ah! This movie. Guys, this movie. Okay. All right, Will. What do you think? Is the Barry-Vanessa relationship believable? No. No, it is not. No, it's not. It doesn't make any sense. For starters... We should credit the director did acknowledge it's not really a relationship. It's not. He says it's not sexual. <laughs> there are romantic relationships that are not sexual. That's true. And there are certainly romantic qualities to their relationship. I do not believe it. Now, with Howard the Duck, we did establish rules that we have to ignore the fact that he was a duck and see if we believe it based on their characters. I still don't believe it because his beeness is central to who he is. Right. Howard's duckness is much less central. Right. It's He's more a, a source of puns. He happens to be a duck. Yeah. Barry is Barry B. Benson. Yeah, he is a B, and you can't separate that from who he is. His entire public identity is about the fact that he's a B. So no, I don't believe any of this. It's ridiculous. Good God, why did we watch this movie? <laughs> Mostly to get this reaction out of you. Ugh. Uh, where would you rate it on our 10-point scale, Will? Do we use zero? Uh, well, I used negatives for Howard the Duck. Yeah, I'm not going there. I'm gonna put it at a zero. Yes. It's... Utterly insane. That save that joke for the cow episode. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> Did you watch this movie? You're complaining about bad animal puns now. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, are they dateable? No. Right? Maybe with Vanessa. But she's willing to date a bee. But she's willing to date a bee. Something so no. is wrong there. If you took beginning of the movie Vanessa before she learns bees could talk, what do you think? Yeah, probably. Probably. She's nice, she's friendly, she she's runs helpful, a business. she runs a business. She sympathizes with animals. Okay, fine. Vanessa before she knows that bees can talk. Barry? No, he's an idiot. Yeah, he's dumb. He's awful. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would it be? Oh, man. Um, I didn't even think about an answer for this because I've just been trying to block this movie out. I want to say the Matthew Broderick B is kind of a nice dude. He's 
He's a loser. He's Matthew Broderick. He's a loser. Also, um, Will's gonna cut it out, but I hope you know there was like a minute long pause there while he thought. <laughs> Maybe the judge? Yeah, the judge is okay. How about the couple friends that they have that they play tennis with? They are not characters, which is a big plus that's, for them. Yeah, they have no lines, so that's why I like them. That's the best people in the movie. All right, keep moving. Get me out of here. Okay, would they stay together? Uh, no, she's a bee. He'll die in a week. Yep. <laughs> I guess that counts as staying together, though. I guess, till death do you part. Yeah. I mean, even if Vanessa's like, uh, you know, I don't know about this relationship. What am I doing? She can just wait it out. Yeah, because he has, I looked it up, a bee lifespan is uh, 122 to 152 days. Yeah, she can wait that out. Yeah, so great. I mean, also, it's probably been much longer than that by the end of this movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah. He's if, a very long-lived bee. He's an old man. Yeah. Okay, so I think... Yes, get me out of this movie. Okay, so next week we're doing another listener pick. This one was suggested by our own favorite hashtag Fifi Fierce. Hashtag Fifi Fierce. Hashtag it's the sound, it's the feeling. Hashtag we love the love. Hashtag nice skin. Hashtag not ghost in the shell. Hashtag, hashtag I've, I've seen, seen puss in boots. boots. Hashtag I, I think. Hashtag I know bees. I think hashtag B facts. Oh, hashtag B facts. Could be fun. That's good. Hashtag B facts. Um, yeah, so we're going to watch Bridget Jones's Diary. Yeah, I hope you like Pride and Prejudice because that is mostly what I plan on talking about. So make sure you rate, review, and subscribe and say hey to us on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. You can also email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. All right, Will, our last question. Are you ready for it? What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie? If you have a crush on someone, if there is someone you are deeply interested in and you want to be romantically involved with them, Never show them this movie. <laughs> that is my advice from this movie. Um, I got some negative advice from this movie. Is it don't what, be a bee? What you shouldn't do, and it's don't commit bestiality. Bestiality? Bestiality. Okay, there you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Bye.